0: Canada is a big importer of illicit drugs but many Canadians might not know we're also sending massive shipments of drugs like methamphetamines overseas to countries like Australia and elsewhere in the South Pacific. This is being driven by gangs in Canada but also by Canadians overseas who are highly ranked in drug trafficking networks. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10.3. Vancouver Sun crime reporter Kim Boland joins me to discuss her investigation into Canadian gangs' involvement in international drug trafficking networks, what authorities and other countries have to say about the problem, and the human toll once these drugs hit the streets. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about the show. So, Kim, you recently spent time in locales halfway around the world investigating international links of B.C. organized crime groups. And so spell out for our audience here, where did you travel to and what led you to some of these countries?
1: Well, there are many countries I could have gone to in the world where, unfortunately, there is a criminal component with links to Canada. But I decided to go to Australia and New Zealand uh, primarily because, you know, I had seen arrests down there of Canadians involved in major importations of both methamphetamine and cocaine. So I knew that something was going on there. As well, we had record seizures by the Canada Border Services Agency last year of methamphetamine at the port here, and it was destined for both Australia and New Zealand. And we're talking six tons of methamphetamine, hidden away in canola oil, and maple syrup, uh, so you know, as a journalist, you you cover those daily events, and they seem so significant, and yet you don't really have the ability to follow up from this end. So I applied for a fellowship. I got some funding, so I could go to both Australia, New Zealand. Then I went to Fiji because I heard that it had an evolving methamphetamine problem because it's on this transnational shipping route. So I wanted to go there as well. And then I already knew that there were links to local gangs in Indonesia, uh, Thailand, and Vietnam. So I also went to those countries. It was a pretty major trip.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, looking at, at like the drug trafficking as a whole, I th- I'm sure many Canadians, when they think about our country and the drug trade, they would see us mainly as importers of narcotics for the sale and consumption in this country. But as, as mentioned, you know, Canadians have been caught up in, in drug trafficking schemes in, in Australia. And, and I know that you've also written about, um, other Canadian figures in organized crime internationally. What role does Canada play in the broader international distribution network are are drugs coming here for the express purpose of us sending it elsewhere
1: yes that is certainly happening and it seems to be happening at an increasing rate so we have major organized criminal gangs in this country they network with others on their same level internationally one of the things i found from this research trip which i found so interesting was you know we see this violence playing out on the streets of places like Edmonton, Vancouver for sure, Toronto, where you have these warring gangs you know, linked to the local drug trade, at the international level, some of the same groups are all working together, whether it's the Hells Angels, the United Nations gang, the Sam Gore criminal network. They, they basically want to make as much money as possible, and that means collaborating just like other transnational companies. Uh, so I found that really, really interesting. What's happening now is that, Uh, You know, for whatever reason, uh, Mexican cartels who are working with these groups uh, see Canada as a place that they can send the drugs to so that they can then send them on to Southeast Asia, Australia, and New Zealand. Australia and New Zealand pay more for methamphetamine and cocaine than any country in the world. So here in Canada, you could buy uh, a kilo of methamphetamine, uh, Mexican-made, for $3,500 that same kilo can be sold in Australia for up to $200,000. Wow. So you can see the profits, right? I mean, even if they lose some of their shipment, they're still making these incredible profits. So yeah, we're we're both a transshipment country where the drugs are coming here to be sent elsewhere. But increasingly, we're a producing country, as the RCMP recently confirmed, not only of methamphetamine, but also of fentanyl. Now, the fentanyl is not going to Australia and New Zealand, but it is going elsewhere. And uh, the RCMP over the last couple of years have you know, uncovered a lot of these super labs. Uh, some are here in BC, some are in Ontario. And the, the precursor chemicals that they need to make these products are available in Canada. 90% of them are not regulated at all because they're used in legitimate business, uh, plastics, petroleum. So, you know, that's seen as a bit of a weak spot internationally that so many of our precursor chemicals are widely available with no controls and the organized crime is taking advantage of that.
0: So what makes a market like Australia that lucrative for for organized crime groups? What What is causing that price differential? Is it a lack of availability, a lack of producers in in Australia, New Zealand that, that makes it so lucrative to these organized crime groups? And who's behind these shipments? Is it specific gangs? Is it a, a group of gangs working together? How does that network play out?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, I think, you know, both of these are island nations, you know, they're far away, so they're quite isolated. Uh, there are more restrictions on precursor chemicals there. And uh, they like drugs. They like methamphetamine and cocaine. So, you know, cocaine is considered kind of an upscale drug. there, a party drug, you know, both Australia and New Zealand, like Canada, you know, there, you know, there's a high standard of living. People have money to spend and they're willing to spend it on, you know, party drugs. The methamphetamine uh, has been more of a problem in both countries because, you know, you have a lot of street users. There's a lot of devastating impact. Domestic violence rates are higher especially if it's low grade methamphetamine, you know, some people do use it as a party drug, but it's, it's much more of a street drug there, you know, impacting sort of the, the poorest people in both countries. Uh, it's just the price markup really, you know, one of the groups uh, from Canada, um, the Wolfpack gang, which is a coalition of other gangs, one of the members serving a life sentence in the Philippines for drug trafficking there is still deeply involved in the international drug trade from prison and he sent a memo to his people in Canada uh, last year. Uh, it was written by someone else, but he's distributing this you know, to all of his criminal contacts saying, please don't undercut the meth prices because we all can make so much money, right? So, so from that perspective, they really are working together uh, because there's just so much money to be made in methamphetamine, in particular in Australia and New Zealand.
0: Now, Canada and Australia you know we're allied countries we're very similar countries we're trading partners when you were speaking with authorities in Australia about this influx of drugs from Canada do they give you the sense that that Canada's an ally in their fight against it that we're pulling our weight we're information sharing we're we're doing the right things in enforcement or are they kind of fighting an uphill battle against not only our gangs, but our bureaucracy?
1: Well, there is a very close working relationship. They're all in the Five Eyes law enforcement group, and they definitely share a lot of intelligence. And, you know, they uh, the Australian Border Force credits the CBSA with uh, figuring out that some of uh, this uh, Mexican-produced meth was, you know, hidden away in these shipments, you know, which led to some of these record... Um, you know, interceptions last year. So they have a very close working relationship. They speak very highly of each other. uh, But without a doubt, there are no criminal prosecutions, for example, in these major shipments at the Canadian end. They're all at the Australian end or the New Zealand end. So people are being charged down there, but not up here. Um, So, you know, there are differences, obviously, in the legal systems, and they're very aware of that. Um, And, uh, you know, they also go after, like the Australian Federal Police, they will go after people internationally who they believe are involved in smuggling drugs into Australia. And, you know, they arrested, uh, say, Chai Lop, who's the head of the Sam Gore criminal network. Uh, That's an Asian organized crime group with record methamphetamine production in Myanmar primarily. But the head of that, uh, Mr. Say, he is a Canadian. And I revealed in this series that I've done that his right-hand man is also a Canadian who grew up here in British Columbia. So, you know, they will target the, the highest echelons of organized crime. We don't do that in Canada.
0: We'll be right back. Now, you mentioned Lop, Lopp, uh, a Canadian. I know we've talked about him on this show before you also mentioned uh, one of the senior Wolfpack members in prison in the Philippines, who's operating things. Are there other kind of major Canadian players involved here, and are they operating out of Canada or are they operating out of you know Southeast Asia, other countries?
1: Both. Uh, from what I learned from Australian federal police, the Hells Angels are involved in. Some of these major shipments, they work very closely with their Hells Angels contacts around the world. Of course, it's an international organization with chapters everywhere. Interestingly, all the recent new chapters in the Hells Angels are in Southeast Asia and Australia, so they're kind of expanding their foothold in those countries. The Hells Angels uh, works very closely with an Australian biker gang called the Comancheros, And the Hells Angels, the Comancheros, working with the Sinaloa cartel are believed to be behind some of these record shipments. Uh, But again, you don't see Hells Angels being charged necessarily Uh, in this country. There are some charges against senior members uh, in Australia. Uh, So, you know, there's also a Middle Eastern organized crime group that doesn't have a specific name uh, like the Hells Angels or the Comancheros. And that group is based in Vancouver. They're involved. Uh, Asian organized crime, I already mentioned Sam Gore, but also the mafia, uh, both in Australia and Canada. So these criminal groups all work together at the highest levels. And, you know, it's really frustrating when you see how many young kids get involved uh, at the street level. They end up, you know, shooting each other, uh, going to jail, or being killed. And yet they have no idea that the groups that they're, you know, repping on the street at the highest levels are all working together. So they think that they're being all loyal to their group, they're getting embroiled in these crimes uh, that are going to have a huge impact on their lives whereas, you know, at this other level it's just business and they're making a lot of money while people at the lowest level are losing their lives.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's an obvious human toll here, not just the violence, but these drugs are winding up in the hands of users in places like Australia, but also in poorer nations. What are you seeing on the ground uh, and involving the human toll of of this trafficking?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because obviously and understandably, we're very focused on fentanyl here because it's taken, you know, such a huge toll in our communities in Canada and the United States. They don't really have a fentanyl problem in Australia and New Zealand, uh, you know, there's there was one record shipment seized two years ago uh, out of the port of Vancouver. It was seized in Melbourne. Other than that, they haven't intercepted any, and they do wastewater testing that shows that, uh, you know, there's not widespread fentanyl use there. Methamphetamine is really their problem, and, um, you know, it has taken a toll. We sort of forget about it here because we're sort of more focused, obviously, on the opiate crisis. Uh, So, you know, you you see people that are addicted on the street and, you know, one criminologist I interviewed down there said that, you know, domestic violence rates are much higher uh, when, you know, because of widespread methamphetamine use. So that's a problem. But what really broke my heart was going to Fiji, you know, met some wonderful people there. But this whole methamphetamine problem, you know, they've had in recent years is only because they're on this transnational shipping route. And some of the criminal gangs hire locals to unload boats there and then move the methamphetamine in smaller vessels, fishing boats, uh, you know, sailboats into Australia and New Zealand. So they have what they call spillage. They pay the local helpers in drugs. And now there's a market for methamphetamine in Fiji and they inject it there. And there's just this huge problem. Really young people, like 13, 14-year-old kids, injecting methamphetamine. And because there is a real shortage of needles there, they're sharing needles. And now HIV rates are on the rise there. So, And there's really not the infrastructure, you know, to help or deal with this problem. So, um, you know, there's no harm reduction. There are no, um, you know, uh, rehabilitation services for drug users like we might see in Canada or Australia or New Zealand, you know, where the countries are wealthier. So that was really, really uh, horrible. Uh, to see and to think that Canada has a role in sending drugs down there, along with other organizations in other countries as well.
0: When you talk to those people who are who are kind of fighting against the tide, there—the police or even you know health workers—what is their general thought about the the poison that's kind of sweeping their shores?
1: Well, there's a great level of frustration over it. Obviously, um, you know, I I think that uh, like anywhere, even like here, when you're you know, busy, focused on the problem right in front of you, you don't necessarily look at those bigger international connections. And, you know, it's one reason why I wanted to do this research and write these stories, because, you know, I wanted to sort of look at this higher level, it was very eye opening for me. Um, And I think that, um, you know, it needs more focus and attention here, I do think there's more attention paid to the higher levels in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, But without a doubt in places like Fiji, other South Pacific islands who are just sort of ravaged because of the methamphetamine ending up there, uh, you know, they're not, they don't have the resources or ability to look at that international level. They're just too busy trying to deal with what's right there in front of them.
0: Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, there's a lot of violence connected to this. People obviously Follow News in Canada, they see headlines about about gang-related violence, not just in BC, but across the country. How does violence from Canadian gangs, how has that spilled over into places like Australia or, or other parts of Southeast Asia?
1: You know, I would say that it hasn't really spilled over. In Australia, particularly in Sydney or Melbourne, the bigger cities, there is gang violence similar to what you see here, but it's usually related to the domestic uh, drug trade and distribution at that domestic level. And that's actually the same as here. So you don't generally see the highest echelons targeted with violence uh, there, at, like you don't see them targeted with violence here, except on a very rare occasion. So I think, ironically, that because they are essentially international entrepreneurs, you know, they try to keep their head down when they're traveling in other countries and other places. Uh, so the violence is not really following them. I interviewed the immigration director in Indonesia, for example. The Hells Angels from Canada were over there last year because a new chapter was opening there and they were all partying. And he said, uh, you know, they don't do things when they're here. You know, they don't want that kind of attention, right? Uh, However, what they're doing is networking, meeting people from other countries and no doubt planning, you know, how they're going to work together in some of these transnational shipments.
0: Mm -hmm. So instances of violence that we have seen overseas have been fairly targeted. I know there, you, you traveled overseas to Thailand previously to, to look into the murder of a Canadian, uh, can't remember his, his role specifically, whether he's a a gang leader or involved in the drug trade, but those kind of, those instances of violence are, are not frequent.
1: They're not frequent. And you're talking about the murder in February 2022 of Jimmy Sandu. He was a United Nations gang leader who grew up here in BC. Uh, but when you look at that, there are charges laid in that case. There's one fellow who's due to go to trial later this year. And he was allegedly hired by the Wolfpack gang here in Canada. So now that was an example of you know the, the dispute between rival gangs in Canada spilling over into another country. And we have seen that in Mexico as well. Uh, so Sandy was gunned down at a beachfront resort, uh, allegedly by these hit men who were ex-Canadian military and had been hired to do this hit. One of them ended up dying and one is over there in Thailand in jail awaiting trial. So, uh, you yeah, know, that was a really interesting one. And you know, did show, again, the level of networking involved. I did find out on this trip that uh, when these alleged hitmen were picked up at the airport, it was by, in in, uh, Thailand, it was by a Comanchero, who's one of these Australian bikers, right? So again, you see that networking and support on the ground in another country, neither Australia nor Canada.
0: Looking at this from a Canadian perspective, and you mentioned that, you know, Australia really goes after these groups in their own country and internationally and goes after some of the big players and and Canada doesn't necessarily appear to anyway. And I I don't want to pass judgment on, on law enforcement investigations that may or may not be going on, but you know, one of the pieces in, in your series is, is going to be looking at why Canada is a global refuge for the Hells Angels and other crime networks. Is it a, is it an enforcement Discussion is it? Is there something else at play here that that makes Canada kind of a prime place for these groups to set up?
1: Well, I do think it's an enforcement issue. They know what the laws are here. Uh, they also know, you know, how valuable the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is when you're facing charges here in Canada. Uh, you know, some of the experts I've spoken to think we need some legislative changes uh, to help deal with uh, international investigations uh, because you know most of the precedent setting cases in Canada, like Stinchcomb, which is a famous one about, you know, disclosure requirements, they don't really factor in international information that might be received. So, you know, you you do hear people calling for legislative changes. Um, However, some of the, um, you know, high level law enforcement people I interviewed said, look, Canada is a really nice place to live. And, uh, you know, the tops of criminal organizations want to live in the nice places. They want to have access to health care. They want to have access to recreation. So so that is also part of it. Uh, but without a doubt, they feel a level of security here. And they certainly are well aware of the limitations of law enforcement uh, within any country where they're operating uh, because of a crackdown uh, by police in Australia, for example, on criminal organizations. Many of the leaders of those organizations moved abroad, overseas, uh, not primarily to Canada, but um, Europe, uh, Dubai, Turkey, and they're now being arrested in those countries and extradited back to Australia to face charges. So uh, we do have some of our organizations where they've, leaders have moved overseas, and I've got a story coming out tomorrow on uh, that, for example. But uh, you know, they live in Canada because they like it here and they feel like they are not going to get targeted in criminal investigations.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, wow. Kim, it's always a fascinating discussion, important reporting on your part. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Ten three is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Kim Bolin. You can read her full investigation at Vancouversun.com. I'm Dave Breakenridge. Thanks for listening.